Hi there, this is Ricardo Silvestre. I'm back with another episode of the Liberal Europe podcast in lockdown, European Liberal Forum project, where we tackle some of the main issues for the European Union right now as we go through this crisis with the COVID-19 pandemic. And today I'll be speaking with Sandra Parti. Sandra is the head of the Brussels office of the German Economic Institute. She was also a guest on the Liberties in Lockdown webinar, which had a title Business with New Borders. And we talk about an economic recovery program for the European Union on a first moment now to make things better, but then also on the longer uh, time scale, how to make economies recover and again reflourish on the European Union. So with no further ado, I bring you Center Party. I'm here with Center Party. Center, thank you so much for coming to the podcast. Thank you too. Looking oh. forward to this. Oh, I'm very happy to have you here. You had a very, very interesting collaboration with the European Liberal Forum on the Liberties in Lockdown Business with New Borders, where you opened up a couple of topics. And I really wanted to have you here on the podcast so we can develop them a little bit. And the first one, we're going to go right into it, has to do with the fact that we have pressing needs right now with the COVID-19 situation, but also we need to think way ahead in the coming years because things are going to be really complicated. Right now, there's a lot of talk, the European Central Bank, the European Commission, how are we going to do with the, uh, uh, the money market funds, how are we going to do with the SURE program for unemployment risk. But you want to go a little further than that. And you said on that webinar, and we're going to go into that now, that we need to be more ambitious. Can you develop a little bit what you mean by that? Yes, I'd love to. So um, from an economic point of view, I think there's basically two phases in which we have to think. One is um, the current one where we have to deal with the immediate emergency. Um, so bringing down the infection rates, uh, providing medical equipment, do uh, large scale testing, etc. So this is what we have to focus on now. And we're also um, national governments as well as the EU have been reacting quickly and have been um, providing money, have been providing liquidity to companies, uh, either via um, the pandemic emergency purchase program by the ECB or via the schemes uh, for short-term work. Um, and uh, But this, for me and for most economists at the moment, is just the first phase. Uh, we would need to move on into a second phase, um, which is the recovery program. We have seen today that the EU is estimating um, a 5 to 10% drop in GDP for this year. So this is really pretty dramatic. And that's not just uh, some companies that um, will have a problem, but this is really um, workers. Um, this is people's livelihoods um, that will be impacted. So we need to really focus also on how do we shape um, the recovery phase, so the second phase? The one thing that I thought was really interesting is that you mentioned that in the first stage, we can already start thinking about that second one. For example, you said that for preparing for a second wave, 
we should now on the first one as we start thinking about you know maintaining the countries open maintaining the economies rolling but for example to coordinate at a higher level meaning like for example at the european commission level how to prepare for the second wave uh, do you see that being a peaceful uh, proposal or we are so worried right now just having the lights on that that kind of thing can just slip into the cracks yes i think that's that's a really um pertinent question um we've seen as the first reaction to the outbreak um, of the virus crisis here that everybody um, sort of like a reflex went back to national nationalistic policies, mm -hmm. shutting borders, uh, focusing on their own national needs, um, for instance, stopping um, the uh, uh, the trade of supply, um, the supply of some medical equipment, etc. So um, that um, I think has been a bit of a bad reaction and really has not helped the European integration project and the EU itself to actually uh, come across um, that well. And I think for a second phase, um, knowing what we know now about the virus, about the, the necessary needs um, for, for dealing with it, um, much more European solidarity in real terms is going to be necessary. But I think also that by now, since it's a bit clearer um, what we need to actually deal with the crisis and tackle the virus, um, it will become um, easier. So uh, already now we've seen that uh, EU countries are helping each other in treating patients. Um, ICU um, units have been made available for, for instance, French citizens in Germany. Um, the EU has co-financed um, mobile medical units in, in Greece. You see a lot of um, equipment like masks, disinfectants, gloves, suits, ventilators, respirators, whatever, being sent um, and donated between EU countries as the need arises. And um, so I think in, in, in this context, we've seen more um, what we actually can do jointly as opposed to going into national lockdowns. And we also see it now that some of the reactions like um, closing borders are indeed like very detrimental to economic activities in several countries involved. We've seen that there's a lot of um, workers crossing borders um, to go to their jobs, not only in border regions, but um, across the EU. Um, and this is hurting the economies uh, as well as the livelihoods of people. So um, in this context, I think, uh, we have made quite a bit of um, experience by now on how to, well, deal with the situation. On the other hand, I think one really has to also keep in mind when, when the whole thing started, um, the EU, as in European Commission, um, European Parliament, they do officially not have the competence for dealing with health, health policy issues. That has been a national competence. And I think what the crisis has, has made very clear to politicians as well as citizens is that, well, you know, the, the, the virus doesn't stop at the borders, uh, no matter how quickly you try and close them. Um, but um, it also spreads across. So you also need to have a cross-border answer and a cross-border cooperation um, to deal with its effects. Those are great points and I totally agree with you. Uh, on the first moment, the panic 
the, 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 the knee-jerk reaction. I think it's understandable, but now we have a blueprint on how to do things on a second wave. And we also, not only in Europe, we see that, which is moving things around. They're more needed here, they're more needed than there. Let's, let's help each other. Like we saw, for example, the United States, which I also follow closely, there was that first wave on the western coast and then the western coast states were sending things to the eastern coast states so let's let's hope that we all learn together how to to deal with one of these pandemics when it comes and another one will come eventually now let's talk about the common recovery program which is something that i know you are deeply interested in and doing work with this there will be a second stage then. Tell us a little bit about this second stage in your idea, how it will be the best thing to make this thing work. Well, in this second phase, I think Europe should really work together um, to foster the economic development and to come back to sustainable growth quickly. And for this, we need, um, in our view um, of you know, lots of economists, uh, a clear roadmap of actions, their timing and also their design. So um, we need a joint roadmap for the exit. We need joint criteria um, in what circumstances we start this um, exit of the lockdowns um, and do this in a coordinated way. It will not be possible to do it fully synchronized because countries are still hit um, differently. So you will not be able to just say, well, you know, it's the mid of May, everybody go now. But um, you will have to sort of develop some joint criteria so that um, commerce, um, people themselves, schools, etc., sort of um, the industry get a little bit of an idea of, um, you know, planning security. Um, and then it has been discussed a lot also by the European Commission, and I very, very much support um, their proposals for the Green Deal um, and a Marshall Plan, sort of a large scale investment package of around about, well, the figure of 1.5 trillion euro was floated. And I think this is probably what is going to be necessary with a focus on health, on technology, on um, the green economy. So um, this is really something where I think um, we have a chance now to link um, our agendas of, uh, well, the necessary um, recovery now with uh, our plans for having a climate neutral, low carbon economy by the mid of the century. Obviously, it's gonna be very, very important um, that we come back to a functioning single market with mm -hmm. open borders um, for the supply chains, for the workers. Um, so that we actually can all benefit from it, um, everyone in the EU, and not have um, the, the crisis, which already is, you know, having a more severe impact on some states than on others, also um, doing the same thing uh, when it comes to the economic recovery. One thing that I would like to um, explore a little bit with you, which is could be a problem of having the subsidies for competitive companies, non-competitive companies, companies that are not profitable, or then on the other hand, trying to save an entire industry. Like, for example, I think about tourism, which is something that is really important for some member states. And I'm thinking about, for example, Portugal, where I am. So how do we do this in, in a way that it's fair and that it's open 
and then we're not saving industries that we shouldn't be saving. And again, I don't want to be you know, too insistent on that, but we have the example of the United States, which is in a lot of ways a terrible example, and we should learn with that. So in, for you, in Europe, how we can make this uh, happen? Yeah. Um, again, I think the European Commission is well-placed to actually develop joint standards or criteria for the public assistance to companies. Um, EU aid control in that context should make sure that the necessary national support um, goes to companies um, that actually are competitive um, and that have not been suffering already before the crisis. This is going to be really tough. I agree. I mean, um, you know, lots of sectors will be saying that they will that they are hit the way they are hit because of the crisis um, and that there was no problem beforehand and uh, that they are eligible for all kinds of support. But um, if you really want to uh, restart your economies in, in a smart way, and to also focus on, on what really, you know, sort of deserves um, support, then one has to be honest. Um, and it will ne nevertheless entail some really, really unpopular and harsh decisions, I'm sure. Um, but as you point out, for instance, the tourism industry, um, they are by definition, hit hard um, by this crisis. So whether one should support um, and give money again, like for instance, in the German um, system during the financial crisis for car companies um, and for it, it introduce the same kind of uh, demolition or scrappage programs so that everybody buys you know, another diesel um, car. That, <laughs> for instance, is probably not the best way to go forward. Um, but, but indeed really um, support those sectors um, that have suffered because of the crisis and not because of um, other maybe not so great um, economic decisions that they made themselves um, prior to the crisis. So um, that also means um, we might need to actually allow for a temporary adaptation of the competition law that we have in Europe. So to allow for some degree of um, concentration at the European level. Um, we need to kind of um, be aware that there might be aggressive takeover um, attempts from uh, outside and foreign investors. So that's also something one has to keep in mind, um, that we do not come to a situation where we, we sort of sell out um, and uh, start losing our competitive advantages. Well, that thing is really, really important and the selling out because, for example, the economic crisis that we lived in Europe, one thing that we saw, and again, I'm talking about uh, an example that I know very well, which is the Portuguese one, which we started to sell some of our assets to uh, other companies, mainly from China, uh, but could be Americans could be a Latin American. That is not important. What important is that, as you mentioned, not try to sell everything and then not having any uh, resources on our hands. You were very uh, kind in sending me a very important document, which is, and I hope I don't butcher this, but the Agora Energiewende. Yay, great. Nice. <laughs> well <done. laughs> I have to, uh, I'm, I've been working out on my German, which is a twin stimulus plan but this one in particular for the German economy, this is going to be on the show notes of the podcast. I'm going to put a link to this publication. But if you want to go a little bit into the German example to give us a, a kind of a setting, because then from the 
from then on, we will talk about what we will do next. Right. Um, yes, I mean, we're basically going to be in a situation where a lot um, of the investment is actually going to come from the state. So that also means that uh, we can steer um, those investments into um, a direction that we have already agreed several times over um, is necessary for our future, uh, which is, you know, investments in sustainable, low carbon, climate neutral um, economic activities. So um, we now get the possibility of actually, um, you know, steering this in a, in a broader way. Um, we could uh, talk about, for instance, the, the idea of uh, long-term um, planning and the long-term stimulus, um, for instance, in the energy field, where we would um, see more sector coupling, so better cooperation between the different um, energy um, sort of bits of the energy system. We could um, indeed like improve the energy infrastructure um, and go down the road of um, having more investments in clean hydrogen, um, in uh, renewable energies. Um, we can also focus our um, investments um, into you know, recycling activities, the collection of secondary raw materials, um, and actually then support companies that um, are active in these fields and that want to you know, um, develop and need investments. So um, we can then achieve more sovereign clean supply chains um, where we in, in, in Europe, and I'm not talking about doing this on a national level, to be clear, um, we don't want to have national approaches where everybody is sort of trying to do their own sort of uh, autarky um, sort of system, but really do this in a pan-European way of also doing cross-border projects in this context. Um, and have really investments in the steel sector, the chemical sector, etc. I mean, many of those investments are necessary anyways. In Germany, almost half um, of those factories are up for um, replacement, renewal in, in any case. So um, the state aid could then be channeled into helping them set themselves up in a much more sustainable um, and, and low carbon and climate neutral way, which again would help um, further on. Um, in the future to actually uh, preserve the EU's and, and our national industry's um, global competitiveness. So really go down the road of giving priority now for green and sustainable investments pro investment projects, um, for circular construction, for energy efficiency um, and renovation. Um, also potentially set up uh, scrappage programs or buying schemes, um, either for, you know, on a proactive side, buying schemes for green household appliances, um, scrapping old heating and cooling systems and uh, supporting um, the, the investments in, in, in greener ones and more sustainable ones. Um, and then also sort of adjusting uh, the, the lending policy of uh, our banks. Um, for, for instance, according to the one that the, uh, the EIB has on energy lending, um, we've just agreed on the European level on a taxonomy um, for determining what is sustainable investment. So we should be using this now um, and really steering our economies into a more sort of future-proof, sustainable um, yeah, um, action and um, direction. Spoke like a through economist, but you did mention a couple of things that I would like to go back because maybe a little more 
um, political, but still I would like to have your opinion on it. And that is then how can we have this being coordinated at a, a transversal to the member states, centralized decision, and then accepted uh, those decisions, accepted and put it in place. What are your main concerns with that, Sandra? How can this go wrong or on the other way, the other way how can we make it go right? Right. I mean, I guess the danger that we definitely face is that uh, the, the focus of, of governments as well as of many companies is to basically go back to where they were before the crisis, um, because this is what they know. Um, this is how they set up um, their supply chains, for instance. So the, the sort of the tendency is there to, you know, just try and get back, you know, to, to the way it was. And um, this is probably what we have to um, deal with um, to find ways to make companies as well as governments understand and actually see that uh, the investments um, that they are making um, will help change um, the way things are produced. Um, in, and then in the midterm actually might be... Um, more uh, competitive um, might make a company actually function more efficient um, than before. But this is, I guess, it's it's, it's going to be a bit of a um, case of you have to show how this works and how a company can benefit from it for them to actually buy into it. But on the other hand, it's also up to the state to basically say, well, you know, you get... Um, you get grants, you get loans um, for your activities now, um, and we will develop a set of criteria to actually um, make you invest in, in, in the direction that I described. Um, it could help, you know, when we have you when, when we talk about um, starting European value chains um, and potentially even onshoring or reshoring some of the production that uh, until now has been made elsewhere um, to come back to Europe. Mm -hmm. And in this way, also um, shorten some supply chains and this way, maybe also uh, reducing some CO2 emissions because you would simply reduce um, the need for transport. So that could help us um, in the EU to actually um, achieve a bit of a more sustainable uh, joint economy. We have um, a number of uh, cross-border infrastructure projects in the pipelines. Um, so they could, for instance, receive preferential treatments um, both from the state level as well as from the from the European level to go ahead so that we could indeed actually um, start having better um, hydrogen um, supply chain uh, pipelines, for instance. So those are the things um, where you could try and show to the respective companies um, that uh, these investments would receive a preferential treatment and would thus make economic sense for them. I do agree, however, and I see this from my, my home country, um, which of course is car mad. Um, <laughs> that uh, of course, you know, this is a sector that employs a lot of people and uh, their sort of uh, predominant um, target is to actually get back and uh, preserve as many jobs uh, as possible. Um, however, if they are honest, um, they also need to actually concede that um, the sector wasn't doing that well prior to Corona already. Oh. Um, so um, 
in that sense, it might actually, you know, be a possibility for them to actually now refocus their investments and, and, and their decisions and, um, yeah, find find those um, activities that will really make them ready for the future as opposed to, uh, you know, keep producing what we always produced and somehow hope that the marketing department will help us get rid of it. <laughs> well, me as a proud owner of a German car, I will be paying close attention because I want to keep with the same brand that I have it right now. I'm not going to say which one it is, of course, but um, I'll be looking forward for new, smarter and more uh, more after COVID-19 apt uh, cars coming from Germany. So perhaps, but, I mean, if they introduce a buying scheme for making whatever brand you're using, um, if you if they suppose uh, they, they introduce a buying scheme, which would um, entice you to buy the e version of that car. <laughs> so that might actually help. All right. Again, I'll be I'll be looking out for that. Wonderful. Sandra, we'll coming to the end of our conversation. I'm going to take the opportunity now for you to tell us a little bit about the work you do and also the German Economic Institute, which you, you are the head of the Brussels office. And how can people know more about the work you guys do? Right. Great. Thank you for that. Um, we are a small office here. Our headquarter is actually in Cologne. Um, which is very nice. Normally, in normal times, it gets me, um, you know, I take the tallies, I take the, the ICE train and I'm there very quickly. Um, and I also get a lot of my colleagues um, from Cologne to come here and contribute to the European debates. Um, we are a rather large institute. Um, we have about 350 people working um, on all kinds of economic topics. Um, we like to say that we are a full liner, um, so we really cover um, the, the the broad uh, subject of economic issues from labor market topics um, to energy to, um, for instance, ethical questions, corporate social responsibility topics. Um, we also run programs for young entrepreneurs um, called Junior, where we help school students to actually like really set up a company and uh, make some first-hand experience in running one. Um, and here in Brussels, we obviously uh, focus a lot on the, the, the European agenda and what uh, in normal times, um, you know, um, is being decided, is being discussed by the European Commission, by the Parliament, when it comes to all kinds of economic uh, topics, including trade policy, digital issues, um, the, uh, the topic of financial affairs, for instance. And we always try to contribute our research um, that we do to these debates and the other way around also um, use the information and uh, the knowledge that we get from um, other actors here to actually channel it into our research back home in, in, in Germany. And uh, basically what we are trying to do is to contribute our national view and our national experience um, to the European debate. And um, the other way around, again, try and learn from some of the European um, institutes, um, from, from European economists and others um, that could potentially help us in, in uh, giving a better, getting a better understanding um, of European developments and also potentially some good ideas for how to do stuff in, in Germany. I'm going to put the link to the Institute the Institute website in the podcast description. Also, I'm going to put some work that Sandra has been doing 
Like for example, she has a column on European rescue and recovery programs against the Corona crisis, which is a must read. For now, I'm going to thank you. Thank you so now, thank you. And I'm, I'm going to thank you for coming to the podcast. I hope to have you back soon. So maybe we can talk more about German cars. And uh, that'll be a <laughs> fascinating conversation. But for now, Sandra, thank you again uh, for coming to the podcast. Thank you very much for the opportunity. And I'm uh, looking forward to potentially also discuss with your listeners and uh, receive questions if you have any. The Liberal Europe podcast It's organized by the European Liberal Forum with the support of Movimento Liberal Social in Portugal. This podcast is co-founded by the European Parliament and the European Parliament is not responsible for the contents of this podcast or any news that may be made of it. The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the European Parliament and or the European Liberal Forum.